You are made for Mondays. You believe that? Yeah. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about that. We'll continue that this morning. And uh, as you think about this over the last few weeks, I've been thinking about some of the jobs that I have been had the opportunity to be participant in. And my first job was actually in an oil field. I was about 15 years of age, and I would uh, had the privilege of moving oil drums from one section to another section. And then we would had the privilege of moving those same drums to another section and then those same drums to another section because they were moving and they were trying to decide what to do and all that different stuff. And so my summer, uh, when I was about 15, that's what I got to do is spend all out there in the hot sweeping and doing all that kind of fun stuff. And so I knew that I didn't want to move old drums for the rest of my life. And then one day I got hired at Burger King and I worked there for an entire weekend and uh, I knew then that I didn't want to do that. And uh, I was a movie projectionist. And if you could make enough money doing that, I would probably do that. That was an awesome job. And um, I actually I was able to work at a mental health facility for a few years. And I loved being able to do that, love on people and, and to be a part of that whole thing. And so there's all kinds of jobs that we have. And so as you think back about the opportunities that you had as a young person or different ways and kind of finding your way to where God has you and called you, you're going to have some fun experiences and some not so fun experiences. I also got to wait tables while I was in college, and that was fun most of the time. Uh, one of the things I learned about that is, is, is that, uh, unfortunately, those that had the most money, or you assume that they did because of the job that they did um, in a small town, that they would be the ones that would tip the best. But guess what? They didn't. So being the head waiter, guess what I did? I was like, hey, listen, this is one of the lawyers in town. You can wait on them because I know they ain't going to give you nothing. And I'm going to wait on this person over here. So... Um, anyway, you are made for Mondays, and all of those opportunities and jobs and vocations along the way shape you and mold you. And I bet some of you, the same as I, we worked in places and in cultures and the places that we worked that weren't necessarily always healthy or fun, and your boss wasn't always the one that was uh, loving and cared for you, or at least it didn't seem that way. And, um, and so you kind of had to figure that out and walk that tight line, that tightrope and all of that. So this morning, I want us to think about this idea as followers of Jesus. What does it look like for us to have a work ethic? Now, not just how hard do we work, but how well do we work and how well do we love in the culture that we're in? How well do we take care of our coworkers? That we should be unquestionably, we should be known as hard workers, yes, but also as craftsmen and people who pursue doing the best you can possibly do in that culture. And that uh, your boss should know that, hey, you may not like the job necessarily, but they know that you're going to be a dependable employee. And so let's think about that a little bit this morning. Did you realize that 12%, only 12%, leave their job because of money? That means 80% are leaving not because of money, but because of the culture and the environment with which in that they work. And so that bosses, though, on the other hand, most bosses, when they're um, questioned, they think that most people leave their job or leave that place of work because they want more money. And uh, But most of the time, it's actually exactly the opposite, that they would rather be appreciated than um, have money. That half of the people are plus or unhappy at work. Nobody raise your hands. I know some of you like want to raise your hands at these things, but don't. Um, half of you are unhappy at work. Half actually forfeited all or most of their paid vacation because they were afraid of what the work and the afraid of what their boss would say and give them because they took the vacation that they were owed. 80% of, of course, we said 80% quit a job because of a lack of appreciation. 
60% say that they trust a stranger more than they trust their boss. That's kind of crazy, huh? That's why we get in Uber and Lyft cars with people we don't even know, right? Because we trust strangers more than that. 70% of employees are actively disengaged from their job. Now, how many of you have ever played Free Cell or Solitaire or looked at Facebook or done something that wasn't a part of your job while you're working? Again, don't raise your hands. Your boss may be in here. All right, but as followers, so ask, ask yourself the question. Actually, we are stealing and robbing in those moments because we're being paid to do something else. And in those moments, you know what? Instead of saying, hey, I'm going to find something else to do or whatever, we disengage. And so for us, again, to reframe and to think about as followers of Jesus, what does that look like? So we need a vision, a new vision maybe, for our work and why we work. Because we work in environments that are frustrating, but as Christians, our work ethic should be unquestionable. Like how we work, why we work, how we work with others, the quality of work we produce, and all that. So this morning, I want us to reframe some things. And the first thing that I want us to get is get a new view, a new view of our coworkers, a new view of our boss, a new view of ourselves. And we see that everyone is made in the image of God. In Genesis Chapter 1, verse 27, we hear it this way. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. In other words, you're going to go into work tomorrow, and everyone that you work with or work for or work against, that's someone who is made in the image of God, and they therefore deserve respect and love because they're made in the image of God. Now, That doesn't necessarily mean that they've done anything for you to give them respect. Maybe they've been mean. Maybe they've been all this different stuff. But because we have an image of, hey, this is someone who God created, and he did a good job when he created him. He said he stood back from that creation and said, this is good, this is honorable, and this is pleasing. Therefore, we should see them in the same way. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, what is the, the greatest commandment? What's the best thing? What's the, the way that, that defines us as Christians the most? And he says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. In other words, with everything that you got, love God. And how do we do that? By loving your neighbor as yourself. In other words, love your coworker, love your boss, love your employees as you love yourself. And with this new view of going into work, we see people differently, not as, as objects, but as people that truly they have hurts, they have pains, they have their own stuff that they bring to work, just like we bring to stuff to work. And so you may have had a bad drive in, and so you're putting that off on everybody else. And all those things of life build up, and we bring it to the workplace. And so for us to be able to reframe and to think, you know what, yes, I've had a bad day, maybe they've had a bad day, how can we reframe that this is a person that God created, step back and say he did a good job, even though there may be times where like, you have to have a little pause to remind yourself of that. In 1 John 4, 8, we're also reminded everyone is worthy of love and respect. It says this, the one who loves does not know God. Because God is love. So that we are mirroring who God is and how we love and care for other people. So the first thing that we should have is a new view that when we walk into work, we should see people differently. Again, as opportunities for us to love and to, and to see that God has done a good job. The second thing that I want you to see is that we should have a new compass. Have you heard that word moral compass? What's your true north? Now, 
I grew up doing this thing called RAs, Royal Ambassadors, and it's a church thing, and so we have Awanas here, and it's pretty much like Awanas, but Royal Ambassadors um, kind of combine Boy Scouts. And so the thing that's different between Awanas and Royal Ambassadors is Royal Ambassadors, we would go on campouts and we would do stuff. So we'd shoot arrows and all this thing. And one of the things that we would do was orienteering. Y'all, y'all know what that is? Y'all Boy Scouts and RAs? So that's where you take a compass and you try to find... The way. They've got a little end thing and you gotta find all this different stuff and, and so one time at our RA camp out we had an orienteering thing and uh, I won first place. It's cause nobody else even got halfway through the maze and I just happened to be the person to get halfway through the maze. It's the same way that I won the archery that year. It's cause I got closest to the target cause no one touched the target. So sometimes life feels that way. It's just good enough to get close, right? So, but in life, we want to do better than just get a little bit close. We want to actually get to the destination. And so what is your true north? Because 80% of life's situations, there are not clear biblical teachings on. And so we have to find new, true north and we have to find some principles in Scripture to guide us and direct us. Because it would be great if you'd have been given a little manual or a book when you turn 13 or 14 and it says, hey, here, here's a guide for the rest of your life. It's going to tell you who to marry. It's going to tell you who to date. It's going to tell you which jobs to take. It's going to tell you what towns to move to. And it's going to have very specific things and guide you. How many of you would have loved that at 13 or 14? Okay, it would have been awesome. But we don't get that direction. We don't get that. And so we have to find a true north. We have to use a compass to do that. And the way that we do that as followers of Jesus is through Scripture and a couple other ways to guide us and direct us. Because it would be nice to know, man, this person over here, that's going to be the person I marry, or these are my friends, or to even ask that question, I'm going to make this deal or that deal, or what job to take. How do we make those decisions? In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 Paul tells us, he says, pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand, be wise, have a great understanding of what the Lord's will is. So how do we then know God's will? How do we make decisions if 80% of life's decisions aren't directly discussed in Scripture? Well, the first thing is this, is that we have that knowledge. We get wisdom from knowing God, from this relationship with God. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of life wisdom is found in knowing God. Have a reverence and a fear and an awe, and that that's the beginning place for us. That's the foundation for life is knowing him and knowing his word. The second way is from knowing ourselves. Now, some of you, if you've gone up in your careers and vocations, you've taken Myers-Briggs or you've taken the DISC or you've taken all these different things, the Enneagram, all different kinds of things to know yourself a little bit better. So your employee can know, employer can know you a little bit better. And so you, you have gained some knowledge of how you deal with stress and the things that bring you passion and the things that you love and enjoy. So as we get a little bit older, hopefully we should know ourselves a little bit better. And so a lot of that. And then the other way that we gain wisdom and can make decisions is from experience. Like I said, hey, listen, I worked for uh, Burger King for a weekend. I gained from that experience. I didn't want, did not want to do fast food again, okay? So I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to work in the oil field. And so you find from experience those things that you like doing and kind of find things that you want to do. And even though there may be days where that job may be a difficult thing, if you like doing it, you can continue to go back to it day in and day out. 
Then also, as followers of Jesus, this is kind of the, the hidden gem for us, is that we have the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit helps guide us and direct us and keep us on a true north. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 15, we see in the early church that they were struggling with some questions, and they had to find some things and make some decisions in the early church. And so some of the early church leaders got together. So you have Peter and Paul and the disciples and some others, and they gathered together, and they had were struggling through some of those questions. And at the end of Acts chapter 15, they sent a letter out, and they said, hey, here are the decisions that have been made, and we've had some, some good discussions and fights. So I don't know about you, have you ever been in a meeting where there's some healthy discussion? You remember that? Sometimes it's between husband and wife or kids or whatever, but there's some healthy discussion. And in a, and in a staff meeting or in a family meeting, there's times where you're going to discuss some things and talk through some things. And you may not always agree, but then you come to the point where you come to agreement. And here's where Peter and Paul and those guys came together and said, listen, we had some deep family discussions about what God was wanting and directing us. And we, this is where we feel like God's leading us and said, for it was the Holy the Spirit's decision and ours. So that through tough work and through doing some of the study and stuff that they came to this place and said, hey, here's where God wants to direct us. And so through the Holy Spirit's decision. Also look at John chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me. This is an always. He will always glorify me. So the Holy Spirit, when he speaks, he's speaking words that come from Jesus. He's speaking words that come from God the Father. And the words that he's speaking that are wisdom to us always points us to glorifying Jesus and raising him up. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. So as followers of Christ, as we try to find true north and the compass of making these decisions, these difficult decisions, do we move, do we get married, do we date, all these different things, 80% of those decisions are based upon this true north compass and the principles that we learned of, hey, here's some experience, who I am, and, and here's how God's gifted me, but also that there's this thing that bubbles up with inside of us and guides us and directs us called the Holy Spirit. And that the longer that we're in relationship with God, the longer that we have walk with the Holy Spirit, we hear the voice and know the voice and it becomes clearer to us. That as you've done life with someone that you can hear their voice, you can pick their voice out over anyone else's. So have you ever been in that place where maybe you've been listening to someone sing or something like that and you can hear and you've been with someone long enough, you can hear their voice singing even in the midst of a hundred voice choir, you can pick their voice out. Not because they're bad, that could be part of it, but because you have a distinct hearing for their voice. You, you know their voice and you can pick it out. And that is true for us, that the longer that we do life with Jesus, that the Holy Spirit speaks to us and we become clearer to us that even amongst the midst of the, the craziness and the noise, the distinctiveness of the Holy Spirit's voice speaks to us and we can respond to it and know without a shadow of a doubt that this is the direction that God would want us to have. That's that, that idea of knowing that you know in your knower. And that the longer that you live the Christian life, that you have a distinctiveness of knowing the voice and knowing that's the direction. Then also I want you to see that we not only have a new view and a new compass, but we also have a new boss. Look at Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll, we'll camp here for just a second. In Ephesians chapter 6, in Ephesians, at the end of the book of Ephesians, Paul is talking all about relationships. And so he's talked about husband and wife and fathers with kids and mothers with kids and all that. And then he goes into to work relationships. 
And in Ephesians chapter 6, one of the relationships that was a difficult one because we work in frustrating places was here Paul is talking to slaves and masters. And so slaves, is that's obviously a difficult position to be in. And so here Paul is helping both to reframe and understand what it means to be in relationship and to work together. So he says this, slaves, obey, respect your human masters with fear and trembling. It should actually probably a better translation is respect and fear. A courteous, respectful, and a humbly confident, okay, with fear and trembling and the sincerity of the heart as you would with Christ. In other words, as you are serving this person that's your boss, I want you to serve them in the same way that you would serve Jesus. As if Jesus was your boss and came to you and said, hey, I want you to do that, respond in that way. Verse 6. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ. So I don't know about you, have you ever seen this? If you've been a boss and you ask someone to do something, and they do it while you're there watching, and then you go away for a few minutes, and you go do something else because you think they're consumed by that opportunity to do that, and you go this, and then you come back, and they're not doing that. Have you ever had that happen? So that happens in my house often whenever we ask the kids to clean the room or something. They get distracted by things that they find, right? And so you say, hey, do this, and you're like, you got 30 minutes or whatever, and you, they're like, yeah, they're so excited about the opportunity to work and to do that. And then you come over here, and you're doing something else that you got to be doing, and then you come back and you check on them because you know that they want to be doing this, and you're just excited to be there and like affirm them, and you come back and find that they're not. God is saying to us, listen, as adults, we need to work as if our parents, if our father is there watching us constantly, and that we want to do good quality work as if he's watching and he would be there to applaud us and to affirm us. Because we all work for affirmation. It's just who we are. It's how God created us. Do God's will from your heart. In other words, your motive for doing those things is, listen, your boss can walk away. That doesn't change the fact that you're a craftsman and that you're called to craft, even if your boss isn't watching you. Verse 7, serve with a good attitude, a wholehearted cheerfulness as to the Lord and not to people. How many of you have been to a place like a restaurant or something and, and your server has doesn't have that wholehearted cheerful attitude? That it's almost like they're like, thank you, and it like slides across the table. You ever been there? Yeah. Yeah, that's not the attitude that we should have. It should be an attitude of like, listen, I have an opportunity because you're made in God's image to serve you. It's my pleasure and honor to serve you. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people. Why? Because people will disappoint you. Have you had that? I've had like two people in my life disappoint me. No, I mean, it's hundreds, right? I mean, it's just, it's just the nature of doing relationships that people are going to disappoint us. And that's why we have to step back and say, listen, you know what? Now I, I kind of reframe this, and there's been moments where I've been the disappointment or I've been the one. So reframe it and just kind of think through, listen, you're made in God's image, and I'm disappointed in this moment, but let's work through this. Serve as to not about the people, but as to the Lord. Verse 8, knowing... That whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. In other words, you'll get a reward. And this was a, an interesting thing because slaves didn't get a reward. 
And so Paul is telling him, listen, you are going to receive a reward, and, and so work hard. You're going to get affirmation. You're going to get a bonus. You're going to get, but do it not because of those things. That's going to be a bonus, but because God the Father is watching, and you want to be pleasing to him. Then he flips it on the employers and masters, bosses. Treat your slaves, treat your employees the same way. In other words, view them as humans, view them as people, not as objects to make money. Don't um, be mean to them to try to drive them to make money, but because, without threatening them, because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. Again, to treat them well, not coercion, not to be mean, to, to conduct yourself among your employees as if you were one of them. That in the same way, that just in the same way that your employees are, are serving and working for the Father, so are you. And that, that actually it's an equal ground in which we do life. Consider how we motivate our employees. Do we use guilt and coercion or, or how are we motivating them? Colossians chapter 3 verses 23 and 24 says this. Whatever you do, do it from your heart. That's something done for the Lord and not for people. Knowing that you will receive the reward of your inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord your Christ. Listen, as employees, we need to be fully engaged in our work. Fully engaged. Seventy percent of us at some point along the day are going to pull up solitaire, pull up Facebook. We're stealing and robbing because of the fact that we have a new motive. That our boss is always watching, always looking, always looking over our shoulder. And not because we're afraid of what he's going to do, but because we want to be pleasing and honorable to him. And bosses, to conduct ourselves in a way that with our employees that we create a culture that's a good family culture, that we're going to have our arguments, we're going to have our disagreements, but in the same way that to understand that, hey, we are equal people. That, yes, one may be the boss and one may be the employee, but we're still equal in God's eyes, and invest in people, invest in people beyond what they produce. Invest in people as bosses, invest in people beyond what they produce. That they're, yes, they're an employee, but as you bring them in to try to create this culture of, listen, I want to see more, you know, you, you may be a boss at a certain place and you see something in them that maybe even is beyond what they can even do at your place. Invest in them and spend time in them so that they can find their passion, train them up, mentor them, allow them to go to something that maybe is better at fitting to their place. But guilt and coercion and, and all the different ways like that doesn't do that. It's not productive for all of us to work and perform Someone is watching. We do that. We all work. That's why 80% of people leave, not because of money, but because of appreciation, because we want a pat on the back. We want people to say, hey, good job, good and faithful servant. So this morning, I hope that you gain a, a new framework that as you go into work and think about, hey, I've got a frustrating day, these people, and begin to see people as who they are, as created in the image of God, and that, that these difficult decisions that you're having to make, whether should I stay at this job, whether should I do this, or whatever, that you would use that true north compass and, and listen in for the voice of the Holy Spirit. And in particular, if you're the boss, that you would begin to go in and begin to treat your employees with an opportunity to say, how can I invest in them beyond what they produce and see how God has made them and what can I help them find the fullness of what God has for them in their walk and in their life? 
challenge you this week just to memorize Colossians chapter 3, that to do your work, not as unto man, but to do your work as unto the Lord Jesus Christ, and that work with everything that you got. It should be unquestionable what our work ethic is as followers of Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, all of us have done work that we don't like. Father, all of us will do work that we don't want to do. Father, I pray that we will do it with your work ethic. That we will work to be skilled craftsmen. Because you have appointed us to that place. You have assigned us to that place. And we bring honor and fame to you by the way that we work. That as other people see us in our relationships with our co-workers and our employees... They say, this is a horrible place to be, but that person there, there's something different about them. May we be light in the midst of darkness. May may we be salt in a world that needs flavor. It's in your son's name that we pray.